Welcome to the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life here in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is our Out of the Park podcast series. I am your host, Dr. Mike Hegeman, the Associate Director of the Park Center. Today, we welcome Dr. Ilona Kubiacic-Adler, Director of Ministries in Music and the Arts here at Pinnacle Presbyterian Church. Welcome, Ilona. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. Today we've invited you into this conversation because of your background and uh, the you you grew up in Poland and now here you've been living in the U.S. for about 12 years is that right? Almost 14. Almost 14 years. Okay. So because of the world situation right now and Poland's proximity to the events in what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, uh, that we wanted to get your perspective as a person both who has strong connections to that region, but also connection to faith and seeing what, where those, those places intersect. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your own history and which I understand you're growing up under Soviet-influenced Poland. Right. Um, I, my generation is called in Poland the transition generation. So we are the that generation that grew up under communism. I was born in late 70s, and uh, my childhood, most of my childhood took place in the 80s, which were pretty um, complicated as far as uh, economical and political uh, uh, changes that have been happened, that has happened then. And uh, it definitely influenced me profoundly because when I was in about third or fourth grade, uh, all the Russian propaganda that, or the Soviet propaganda at the time that I was taught until then completely has changed. All, all our history books have been changed, and we all of a sudden learned a completely new um, version of the 20th century history. So I think that the biggest influence that had on me is that I always dig deeper when I search for the truth, and I, and I always question authority. Uh, fascinating. You know, when I was uh, in the late 80s, I was able to go into Eastern Germany, and I went into a bookshop, and I was looking for j- books in German that were at a child's level that I could help myself, you know, in my learning German process. And I remember I picked up a book that was all about family life, and and uh, looking at these, po- there were little short poems about growing up and responsibility and one of it was all about the father. The father goes to work in the factory, and the mm-hmm. father comes home at the end of the day, and he'll read to his children, you know, and unteach them the ways of Marx and Lenin, mm-hmm. and that he, the last thing he goes to do before he goes to bed is to read Lenin, you know, and to and to be. So there's this, this sense of that I could see from this child's book that this indoctrination mm-hmm. was really quite, you know, pervasive. Right. And so I was the was that that was quite was that true in Poland as well? Yes, it was. And we were also uh, Russian despite the fact being a beautiful language and I appreciate that I know it now. Uh it was a mandatory language and a lot of propaganda was also taught in that language. So you're also a person of faith. And so what was it like for your family growing up as people of faith? I'm I'm making assumptions, but tell us more about that experience under in Soviet-controlled Poland. Right. So that's the interesting part, and I think that's maybe a part that not um, all folks might realize. But in fact, Roman Catholicism in Poland have been very strong, especially when I was growing up. And that was 
that what ha what has not it was unlike in the 50s or 60s there was a lot of persecution at that time but uh since John Paul II was elected the pope in 1978 this is when everything changed and uh the uh it, it made it easier for roman catholics to practice their faith and uh another part of it is that John Paul II was really uh, extremely instrumental in what has happened uh, later on. Uh, when he was coming to all the pilgrimages to Poland, they were politically charged. So, what did you see as the you know, what age did things change in Poland? You know, so the late 80s. What how, you know, how old were you, and what was the biggest change that happened for you? I mean, just kind of that you look back and saying, oh, this was quite a profound change. Um. Well, that what I mentioned in the beginning was the just understanding that all of a sudden we are learning a completely different history, and then when the borders opened and we were able, I think my first trip to any part of the Western uh, world was when I was 15, and just seeing how people are, how they live, which was quite unlike uh, how we lived in Poland and also what how they treated us at the time and it was you know as you can imagine uh, it, it could go both ways uh, I, I felt that my very strong profound feeling was that I've been lied to and this is what affected probably my whole life because since then I've just traveled and searched and read and tried to discover what I've been missing Always finding out more to the story. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's um, fascinating to think about and coming to the moment of revelation when the truth you've been raised with and everybody else is, buys into, or at least publicly buys into, mm -hmm. there's something completely different that's really actually been going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that as we move through our conversation today, talking about the parallels to what's happening between Russia and Ukraine even today. So there's a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure there's some parallels there. But... Um, Currently, do you have? Con oh, I was going to ask you first about your what brought you out of Poland and beyond. You said there's this desire to engage with the world. You, the borders are open, and you could go anywhere. Mm -hmm. What brought you to America then, or where did you? And the interim steps, you know, there. Right. Yeah, I lived in a in a few countries. I traveled quite extensively. Um, been uh, to South America pretty early on, and uh, through, through most of Europe, and. Uh, traveled a lot also on musical basis so I traveled to choirs and per as a performer uh, but what brought me to America specifically is actually my husband whom I met when I studied in Amsterdam in the Netherlands and um, that was that's a, of obviously a long story and you can always ask me more questions in a different podcast but yeah that's that's how I came here um, and then you were able to study do doctoral degrees in organ performance Right. right. Yes, yeah. I studied here with uh, Kimberly Marshall at ASU. Right. At ASU. Right. Mm -hmm. So currently, though, what are your what are your connections still to Poland? And then we're going to ask the connections to the to both Russia and Ukraine. But what are your connections to Poland at the moment? Well, I have all my family and friends uh, who are there. I left when I was in my 30s, so I I, I had a pretty established life there and a career. And um, and so so that's my biggest, in a way, also worry at, the, at this uh, situation, this political situation. Yeah. And so any not family ties are only in Poland, but no no family in Russia or Ukraine at the moment. No, I don't. I I have colleagues and friends that I that I keep in touch. And your with. colleagues mostly are in the music world. Mm -hmm, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. What have you had any reaction from them? Currently, I mean, something that's saying how are they reacting to the situation to you? What what kind of information is coming to you from them? Well, so there is there is definitely differences between how the media in general are what what kind of information they are bringing. I don't think that there's any. I think that it's just a question of what they focus on, really. Not, uh, th I don't think there's much lost in the translation there. But, uh, mm, for example, Polish media focus very much on the refugees. Obviously, this is their main, and how they can help Ukrainians as far as military. And um, and then you know I read some of the uh, German newspapers as well, and they have their own, of course, issues, especially with their uh, how they're going to get their energy and where where from. And then American media, as you know, you know they they focus on many different things, but um, in general, I feel like they they try to stay out in a way as long as they are uh, probably able not to stir any um, World War Three. Wow. Yeah. So. Help us all understand what are the kind of the historic connections between Poland, Russia, and Ukraine. You know, and I mean, what I know is that the borders have for the last 600 years or more have been very fluid. Can you give us any even a, just a taste of of what that is? We can't cover the whole history, but right, yeah, there'll, but there'll be a very quick one because the the Polish ties between Poland and Ukraine started already in the 13th century, and it was after Kiev and Rus also, which was like the major center of of Russian culture just in general, and that is um, current Ukraine, and that's I think that that's an important part of of why. Uh, it is such a such a problematic territory. Uh, we used to be one country when Poland in the 16th, 17th century was the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth. Then Ukraine was a part of it. Actually, the, uh, quite most of the territory of current Ukraine was a part of that uh, Commonwealth. And then uh, and those relationships were always on and off. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. It was it depended. We have also some bad history between the two countries and and a good one as well. Uh, the uh, under the Soviet influence, we the Poland. The difference between Poland and the Ukraine was that Poland was under the Soviet influence, was still considered a, a, its own country, uh, while the Ukraine was a part of the Soviet Union, and that created actually a lot of tensions. Uh, but after the change of the political system in 1989, Poland tried to actually help. Uh, and collaborated with Ukraine for them to for, for them to happen the same thing, uh, so be a later on be a part of uh, European Union and NATO, which has not yet happened. Uh, maybe if it did, the situation would have changed mm. or affect what's happening right now. Why the Polish people, right, even at this moment, have seemingly to have such a a wide open door kind of embrace of Ukrainians. Uh, before we get to that point. How have, in the last few years, maybe, how have, what was the perception of Poles towards Ukrainians? Mm -hmm. I mean, the Ukrainians have been coming to Poland, mm -hmm. and how have Ukrainians been integrated into society? What's been the reaction of Poles before this point to Ukrainians? Mm -hmm. Right, and it was, I think it, it, it came, um, y you can probably uh, imagine that it was not always uh, what you would like to see. Uh, my understanding is that since uh, the Crimea and the, pr the problem that happened there in t 2014, um, there was a huge influx of Ukrainian coming into Poland, and that came, uh, that was good and bad both, because there was, whenever there is an influx of people from another country into one country, uh, which is pretty unified, um, uh, there's always, it always creates some tensions, and that's, I've seen that, we see it in US, we see it in, any, in other countries as well, uh, but on the other hand, uh, 
Ukrainians have been probably for almost a decade a part of Poland, of Polish culture and Polish society. So they they uh, made uh, their own place. Uh, uh, and their own, uh, they made space for themselves and their uh, foundations and organizations that help Ukrainian uh, living in Poland. So why do you think that the Poles, what we're hearing is that almost a million people, perhaps, I mean, mm -hmm. have, of Ukrainians have come into Poland. I don't know if my, these, these numbers yeah. will be changing daily, so by the time this podcast airs, we're not sure, mm -hmm. I mean, how many that will be, but why are Pol why are the Poles being so embracing, mm -hmm. embr you know, embracing the Ukrainian people at this time? Right, and before I answer that, oh. I just want to tell you my um, a personal story from my, some of my friends that are very hands-on helping right now. Um, uh, just a beautiful story of, of big hearts uh, of young people who are you know finding ways of uh, creating space for mothers and children uh, women and children and um, and uh, bossing going to you know on social media especially this is using social media to connect and they um, you know fundraise money to grab a bus you know and go to the border and pick people up and then uh, make beautiful places for them so that it's not just you know a big stadium full of beds, but it's actually you know the, they're actually houses or they are actually just you know comfortable places for Ukrainians to live. And uh, I have a friend who is who is doing that uh, right now and posting photos, of course, on social media just to see where people's money go to. So it's not only on a, on an institutional level, but it's also on a very personal level that people take take the action into their own hands. And I think why, where is it's coming from, I think that there's probably a few layers. One of the layers that I assume, but I cannot really, um, uh, I don't think it's, it can be proven, but I, I really feel that that comes from my own understanding of Polish history, is that when the borders opened in the, you know, and things started shifting in the early 90s and so many Poles, actually moved to the West uh, to look for better jobs, for better opportunities. Uh, in, in a sense, that was a very similar situation to what is happening to Ukrainians right now, despite it was not a uh, situation of a war. But, but many of the Westerners helped. And the European Union has been extremely helpful into, uh, well, westernizing Poland, but also just uh, making it a much more comfortable, much more prosperous country. And so I think that there's that, I hope to, and I want to believe that there's a deep sense of gratitude and something that, you know, the Poles want to give back to their neighbors that, might have a little worse than them right now. And so I hope that this is where it's coming from. It's also a deeply Christian country. It's a ma majority of the Polks are Roman Catholic. I mean, there's other denominations, but um, it is a Roman Catholic country to start with. And there's a lot of uh, humanitarian agencies that are religious, religious-based, and I think that that's, a, that's a, a big part of it. And so... Um, and the fact that Ukrainians have been there for that last decade and living among Poles, uh, it could also create that sense that, okay, these are these are brothers and sisters, and why don't we help them? And, uh, and also another layer, which is the anti-Russian, uh, and not really anti-Russian, but anti-Putin layer, because there is a lot of really positive ties between Poland and Russia uh, on artistic levels, on, you know, other other ways, but politically, um, um, the, there has been a lot of tension between Poland and Russia, and that is also connected with the fact that Poland is a part of NATO and the European Union, and is that eastern flank right now kind of 
that farthest most east uh, division between the west and the east. Poland has had a very long history of being in that very position, mm-hmm. of being the the bridge between what would be considered the east and the kind of the foreignness of almost you know that so often Russia is referred to as Asian Asian country and you know kind of denying its kind of European connections, but mm-hmm. Poland has served in many ways historically, politically, but also musically between this bridge between the East in Russia and the West, especially of France or somebody like, mm-hmm. uh, you think of, of Chopin or somebody like mm-hmm. that who's a who's a Polish composer in the 1800s, early 1800s to mid-1800s. And he, what way would you describe that he kind of characterizes this Polish bridge between East and West? Is, hmm. there, is there a way you think about that? Yeah, of course, uh, because it, the interesting part is that, you know, that, as you know, the French consider Chopin French and then uh, Chopin, as we call him in Poland, <laughs> uh, by, by all Poles is considered Polish, while he really spent half of his life here and, half, and the other half there. And, uh, but he definitely brought... The level of musicianship and the, and by through his own connections also with the, with many of the French uh, uh, pianists and composers of the time, he brought that Polish sense of musicianship and also a lot of Polish uh, uh, folk music and lots of Polish melodies into his music. And I think that that's what makes this music so captivating too, because there's a lot of this Slavic uh, feel to it, while he's using all the you know in a way. Um, uh, using all the achievements of, of Western classical music. Yeah, and I bring that up not to, uh, just to, but also to highlight this place that Poland is one of those places that could serve a very important role in uh, not only in this very moment of embracing and bringing refugees in, but also um, serving a role in, in, in a diplomatic role that comes forward because, as you said, it is the, f- it is the front you know, between now and as tensions rise between Russia and Russian government specifically and the and the West, mm-hmm. uh, that that Poland, you know, has this long historic place of being in between, and mm-hmm. so they might be able to serve to serve in this role. And so Americans, as they think about Ukraine, have to also think about supporting and the ways that they support those border countries. You know, Poland. Uh, Romania, the Slovak, the Czech Slovak area, all those places. They're just saying, how can we th- remember to think of these people as they open and embrace uh, to the other? As mm-hmm. that we think of it in our Christian calling is something quite mm-hmm. profound to create a place of refuge, a place of hospitality, mm-hmm. all of those things. But we here so far physically removed from the situation. Uh, but to remember all of these people. As we're, if we're praying for Ukraine, we can't help but re- pray for all those under countries and pray for the people of Russia because they are in many ways, many, many of them are as many, as, uh, to use the word victims, victims of the, you know, of, of what they're, of what the government is doing, mm-hmm. you know. So um, in the midst of that, you know, a sense of what, what worries you most, you know, as you look at the situation right at, right at this moment. Mm-hmm. And again, by the time this podcast airs, things might have changed mm-hmm. dr- dramatically. We don't know. But right at this moment, what what concerns you most? The biggest concern, which is probably also Western concern, is the spread of the war. And, uh, and that is how I see what I read in the American media, is that sense of fear that if, um, if they step in in a military way, that this might uh, push that war farther to the size that maybe it's not exactly what we all want. 
On the other hand, I worry for Ukraine because they are very much outnumbered as far as Russian military and and there's civilians being killed right now and suffering from that and and I would love to see more military support actually from um neighboring countries and I know there is there is coming but um it's also just them fighting by themselves right now and they are hugely outnumbered and and seeing civilians fleeing but also civilians fighting and uh, losing their lives for that um it's troublesome um but there is another part um obviously humanitarian crisis but because i am um i'm a grandchild of of a uh, world war 2 uh veterans i have seen in my own family what a war trauma does to family members and so my worries maybe just even uh, just a little f- looking farther ahead what kind of effect this kind of war will have on the generation of people who are going through it because the ripple effect of the trauma that war brings on people is not in the immediate generation but stays in mm-hmm. the generation that are following my parents were definitely affected by the despite that they were born after world war 2 was was done but but very early after um they were clearly affected by the aftermath of the war and and i think that 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 ripple effect is strong and big and present and um and that is something that i worry as well that's yeah, something we don't think about we're so much into the immediacy of what's happening mm-hmm. and c- trying to bring it an end to this to the situation into the situation not thinking about how long will this go on especially for refugees when it, the immediacy of it is, oh, I found a place. I, f- I mean, I've, I've gone, I've gotten my children out. My maybe my husband is back in the or, or partner is back in Ukraine still, but we're safe for the moment. And not knowing what the long term, you know, the the sense of that anxiety and fear. The country, the world's been going through two years of a pandemic already, mm-hmm. and this uh, this constant anxiety, uh, and then to create on that what's at the moment. A, a, a brief refuge of, uh, you know, a brief refuge for refugees, you know, respite from the war. But it's the, what does it mean for long term, and how that will not affect refugees? Will they? Sometimes they'll be able to go back. Sometimes they may not be able to go back. And uh, you know, just like it said, all of that will be, um, yeah, long term effects are. Mm-hmm. You, it's hard to calculate at this time. And so, even in the midst of that, and we're early on in this conflict, you know, but. Is there anything that brings you a sense of hope, or what gives you a sense of hope, or where you place your hope at this point? Well, in the in the good, in the good of people's heart, in people's hearts, that there are so many people that want to help, and they are all over the world, and they express it, and that they pour their resources if they cannot be, they pour resources into the Polish humanitarian organizations and all other organizations in other countries that are helping right now, and in the fact that we can all unite and 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 bring uh that help to people and that the despite in the midst of the horrible atrocities that are happening people want to help and want to unify and find that 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 good in them and it's beautiful to see yeah so kind of as a final question and maybe this does you know speaking of the um of the long-term effects the trauma of war uh, maybe this question makes more sense in light of that, but how do you think that music 
can play a part, especially as a person of faith whose whose music is is predominantly connected to the world of faith mm-hmm. and saying how do you think that music can can play a role in as as a, you know using a biblical term the healing of the nations mm-hmm. uh what do you have any thoughts around that yeah a little bit uh there the, there's a few things actually that happened just to give you just very clear examples there there were a few things that happened one of the things um uh, am, among the organists in all my organist and church musician circles you know there was an arrangement of the ukrainian hymn that was you know circulating uh there's a lot of ukrainian music that's during in in our muse forum i'm a part of an uh, organization of female uh, organists uh called muse forum and and you know a, a beautiful uh, uh piece that i'm definitely going to play um uh, in our church, uh, a beautiful shakona by an, a Ukrainian composer, female Ukrainian composer, that uh, in in a sense of unity. But another thing that uh, our choir is going to do is um, uh, Craig Courtney used to uh, uh, went to Ukraine and used to be in U- Ukraine and wrote a beautiful Ukraine Alleluia that we are going to uh, we're working on right now and are going to bring uh, to the church and offer that to um, to our congregation and. And I'll, I'll tell you that the moment the, our choir saw um, that we are honoring those people one way or another, they felt immediately that, yes, this is exactly what we should be doing right now. And um, there is a sense of unity that music can bring and also can help express those that feelings that are really hard to express. And, um, and through this kind of... Um, uh, actions we can unite and connect with this. Ilona, people. thank you very much. Uh, our prayers go with you and to your family as well in that region, and uh, and the awareness that you help us to you know you bring to us that you help us to understand a little bit more about the situation is that uh, anything that we can do to make real you know put real faces behind uh, the stories that we that we hear is very important. We know that uh, you know that. The Fran Park Center for Faith and Life is is housed here and by a, a, a Presbyterian church. That we know that Presbyterian Disaster Assistance is already working in that area, and that there are, as you mentioned earlier, that there are Polish relief organizations to helping uh, refugees in that area. And so, uh, but we encourage anybody to you know find ways to reach out through um, aid organizations at this time to be helping uh, in ways that we can, and of, of course praying praying through music uh, as well and so we will we will keep our eyes and ears and hearts kind of aware of what's happening we invite you all to continue uh, stay abreast of this situation and uh, connected uh, to this situation but also stay tuned for further episodes here of the out of the park podcast series through the friend park center for faith and life